morning, I'm working for that out recovery. Good morning, Jabs. Good morning. good morning, good morning. And then there were three, again. Well, sometimes it's four, sometimes it's three. I understand that Matt has man flu. Yeah, we said it was the worst flu ever, which means it must be man flu. It's that thing that's going around, isn't it? I've heard a few people have had it and I touch would have it. That yet. thing, what you you calling it a thing like it was twerking <laughs> or something. <laughs> that thing going round. It's that thing that I keep hearing everyone go, oh, that person's off and that person's off and the other one's off and this person can't make this because they've got this. So I'll just call it that thing. General thing type thing that we don't want to define. Yeah. Like the thing on the film. Was that the fly? No, that was actually the thing. No, it was called the thing. The The one set in the ice station, wasn't it? The thing with Kurt Russell. Yeah. Well, the original wasn't, but the John Carpenter one was, wasn't it? They're trying to remake it now, apparently. But when you just call it a thing, it can be anything. Yeah, but that's what it is, isn't it? It's just a thing. Man flu. It's just a thing. Not real flu. Not COVID. Go on, say that again. It's it's just a thing. It's just a thing. Do you think the World Health Organization <laughs> sit around sometimes go, this is just a thing. We need to call it something specific. No, so on. we'll call it SARS-18B-74XY thing. The World Health Organization just decide when funds are low that they need to make a bug or a disease. That's very cynical. So then they can make the medication to get all the tax back off the medication. That yeah, they they don't make the medication. Pfizer make the medication. Yeah, but if Pfizer make the medication... Pfizer are a massive global company. But then... That they, make huge they amounts of money. charge tax, don't they? And they ultimately the government yeah, get the tax. Yeah, but huge corporations don't pay tax. We know that in this country. They no, they're not they? they're, they're fixing it, trust me. S- someone's getting paid. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he's trying to It's just backhanders. <laughs> yeah, backhanders. Backhanders Corporate, to um, What do you call it? Little jaunts over to like, the Caribbean to play golf. Corporation tax. Corporation so tax, there you go, yeah. It's so low in this country because there's so many backhanders going on. Mm. I think golf is a significant factor there, Neil. Everything happens on a golf course. Oh, yeah. Apart from playing golf. Apart from... <laughs> That's another thing. The golf, COVID, XY, SARS, golf type, tennis, partner type thing. Thing. So we've got through our definitions of diseases for the morning. Moment, no, moment. If you're in the Caribbean, you call it a ting. A ting. A ting. Okay, just one anyway. And wannabe rasters copy the word, don't they? (laughs) I have to ting. Ting. You were seeing how I was going to say it, wasn't you? And I thought, he's questioning my Queen's English, and I went, thing. Didn't I? Did you notice something? The thing. Are we watching a crowd lately? That said, I never heard the Queen say finger. No, but I'll be watching a crowd there, and they go, tell me if I got it right. Off. Off. Of. No, not of. Off. You pronounce the O. Pronunciation's entirely different in that kind of English. One has to consider every aspect of one's speech if one is monarch. See, and that's the people are old now. It's the exact attitude of pronunciation. A vision of a decrepit old cat, right? No no offense to the Queen, but God rest in peace and all this. A cat, a very wise cat that's twisting his little thing on his side there you know the moustaches that curl at the end that's what I'm doing for cats the readers for the listeners <laughs> hmm? I've not seen a cat with a moustache they have whiskers don't they 
Well, on their whiskers, something <laughs> to do with radar. Cat radar. You've created lots of themed cats in your Oh, yes, absolutely. And they will return. They will be returning in the new year. Those cats. Oh, you mean the old cat? The one that's. That's yes, yeah. very odd. Do you think the reason why the royal family reacted so negatively to Meghan Markle was because she was talking about this ting? To who? To the palace, to yeah, it was a ting. What she was talking about, and maybe that ting of thing, of thing. And they didn't thing. understand it, <laughs> and they made her go on this proper <laughs> RP speech course. You know she what? came in all gangster <laughs> and they didn't know what to do. Oh, no, I'm not going to go into it. <laughs> it's only an absurd prognosis. I mean, I don't think for a nanosecond that's what happened. You know, no, let me go there. You know what I had a vision of? I was hoping for this little, the children. I was thinking, I was thinking of this little ginger stroke curly hair. With like, you know, they're going to lock him up, let him lock up yeah. like a little yeah, three-year-old yeah. running around the palace. Like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what I had a vision of when they had their children. I'm still kind of hoping that they kind of lay up, lay the curls, little ginger curls, and just grow yeah. long and kind of locks up. And It'd be a new one for Harry, won't it? If his kids look like him, mm. it would be very different than it was for him. Mm. Because he might have kept fair hair. He looks awful, his hair. Have you seen him? He's got none. It's awful. Mind you, <laughs> well, you had yours repaired, Ronnie. <laughs> you had a full reparation job. Like Graham Gooch or Shane Warne, God rest him. I don't understand. Is he dead? Shane Warne. Shane Warne died. He died of a heart attack. Bless him. Oh, did he influence you? If anyone influenced me, it was Wayne Rooney because I didn't know about this kind of stuff before and then apparently he was having his hair done. Do you not think, though, looking at Wayne Rooney in, in recent press, do you not think he's a drunk? Oh, Look at yeah. his face. You, I, you can't recognise him. He's, a, he's, quite, he's very large. He's, he's bloated and bloated and big. And like, what's happened to you? Man? He was always a big lad. Mm. I mean, he was always well, a big lad. He suddenly turned yeah. into a big old man. However, he's not even forty, and he looks like washed-out footballers look in their fifties if mm. they've gone and just sat on the bar for twenty years. No, he's definitely a drunken. He's but, aged yeah. visibly. I think so. Like he's got a combination of the thing where like he's not training every day, so that stuff is not getting rinsed out of him. Like he's like in a dramatic when he's drinking. Like, apparently, if you go by what the press are saying, there's a possibility yeah, what you he's do, drinking. What you he's do, drinking you a little bit mean? too much. Has he got bored or what? He's got everything he could ever want. I'm sure. Well, I do hope we're not casting aspersions, but I think it's very difficult being in the public eye mm. to struggle with something like that if you've had a career and in a very public way and from a very young age if you then face some kind of struggle when you're older it's public without you necessarily giving your permission or even realising it and for all the aspersions you get cast in the papers or the gossip mags or anything only the person themselves knows what's really happening and sometimes do they really know what's happening as well that was my experience like well, yeah, and when I think of the way I was, the idea of that being played out in the papers is terrifying. Terrifying, most definitely. Because, of course, you don't realise that your face has gone like that either. No, you don't, do you? No. I didn't realise that. I, I still thought I looked the same. I was like, fucking hell. I don't look like I've had a drink. Mm. I didn't realise until I started to look. I look at pictures now. 
back of me back then. But I remember some guy in one of the HMOs saying to me, you're fat C-U-N-T, you are. And I thought, oh, no, I am not it's at all. But I've looked at the pictures of back then. And I was not morbidly obese. But yeah, probably, according to the doctor, morbidly obese. But I still thought I was the same as I'd always been before. Yeah, it comes back around to that thinking, isn't it, while we come into these places and we get to understand why this thinking process that we've got of this delusional thinking that we have what if I talk for me like what was playing out in me so I've gone to the drug and alcohol service and I remember like it was an order of what I was on and they said like you know maybe you've got like an issue with substances do you want some some additional help and I said they sent me off to this place they said like yeah doc can get treatment for you I didn't know what treatment was mm. that's why I didn't know what it looks like didn't know anything about it are you willing to explore that avenue? And I said, yeah, why not? Things ain't going well for me. I think I've got a problem, but I know I've got a problem. And I'm, yeah, whatever, whatever. They said, you've got to come along to these groups for a period of time to show some commitment. So I went for the first two groups in one week. It was a Tuesday and a Thursday. And then I disappeared for about a month, six weeks. And mm. I come back. And this woman's gone, you look like you've aged 20 years since I've seen you. Because... I'd gone off and yeah. I had a heavy binge. And she said, are you still up for it? And I, I said, yeah, but like you said, like me thinking, I'm all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm like thinking, what is she talking about? What do you mean? Like, like, everyone else sees it first. And maybe because this lady had only seen me once before in her life and then saw me again for a six-week period, she's like, oh, my gosh, like, what's happened to you? And I remember the expression on her face. The expression told me that there's got to be something. <laughs> I said, okay. She made it happen really quick, to be honest. Yeah, you just reminded me of time I was put on probation. I went to my probation officer and she says, have you realised that all of your problems are stemming from alcohol? And I went, no. No, no, of course not. I said, it's a, just a coincidence. Mm. I said, those things that have happened at those times, I just happened to have been drunk. It wasn't the drink that's influenced them at all. Mm. And I really believed it. It's so strange. And I look back and I think, it was plain as day. It was plain as pissing day. Did you not think, well, I'm drunk all the time and these things happen. So if I wasn't drunk all the time, these things would happen anyway. That's what. That's what so that mean. means that it can't be the drink. That's exactly what was going through my but head. But did you admit that you were drunk all the time? No, I can't remember. Just accidental that you were drinking most of the time. I said I do drink a lot. I didn't say it like that, but I remember saying to her, no, it's not got nothing to do with the drink. Why this stuff happens? I said. Yes, I do drink a lot. I'm aware of that. But no, and I believed it. I refuse to think that this is the truth because you're telling me not to drink. My life's shit anyway. Mm. And now you don't want me to drink. And that's what was going through my head. And it wasn't until further on down the line, I thought, hang on a minute. Bear in mind, I was drunk in that meeting. <laughs> I think it's the second critical wall you've got to break down, isn't it? Mm. The first critical wall is, I need help. You're checking my crutch. Then the next bit you've got to do, and this I think happens when you end up in rehab, is you've got to stop defending your disease. And you've got to understand that actually the drinking drugs are the cause of all sorts of things in your life. There's not other ways to explain it. You can't just justify the hell out of it and say, well, these things would have happened anyway. Because if we don't break that one down, and we still think, oh, this is shit no matter what I do, we're going to drink again, aren't we? I think it's, yeah, realising that the reason why I have the problems I have today, back then, was because...
because of the drink and if you stop drinking your life will become wonderful and great and it's just that message just isn't put across yeah. really is it what, that thing of unmanageability I think that's what you're touching on here like you know that yeah. unmanageability which I just saw that you know if Ronnie just towed the line a little bit more was a little bit more gentle with me if Richard paid me a little bit more for the job I was doing, if I was getting a little bit more money, yeah, yeah, yeah. if Mother Dear didn't give me that look, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, when I walked in the house, like, if I got a little bit more love from over there, it's all going to be well. Yeah, I just need these four people to just touch into line a little bit, okay? I maybe need not to. We just need like, everybody else to behave. Yeah, basically. and I and I need to just try and maybe get that using down just to the weekends, mm. and it's all everything's going to be all right. Isn't that being the puppet master? Okay, I can behave a little bit better. Maybe not shout. Well, just a little bit, just but a little totally. Bit yeah, but even though if these little things, I would have behaved like the way I would behave if these not done just that. Especially if I've got a little bit more money, I'll be a lot more relaxed. And then I could give her the loved one over there a little bit of money. She'll be better. Even though she's told me a million times, it's not about the money. <laughs> mm. I'm not hearing that, though. Ah, it's not just that we're not listening. It's about what we're not hearing. <laughs> My, I don't want to hear it. My, I choose not to hear it. Yeah. I remember going through a stage what was for a year lot, right? Basically got me into the alcohol. So and you lot can handle it or you not I'm not drinking as much as I so you can progress and you've made me into an alcoholic. When I was at college and stuff and they'd be getting the It's dis- your fault I've ended the up distinctions like this. and mm. I'd be getting just scraping a merit or a mm. pass. I'd be like understand it because these drink I go out with these drinking all the time why are they all so good two shoes and drinking they're getting me just get drunk all the time there's something going on behind the scenes there there's something going on behind the scenes they know something that I don't and they're not letting me in on it why are they passing their exams and why am I just scraping through with a fair pass well they're getting distinctions and I'm getting so he talks about like Nasty. the pharmaceutical companies you said it's a conspiracy <laughs> But you see where it started from, Richard? It started from, like, in college, like, there was a conspiracy. There's always been a conspiracy with me. There's a very good reason. I'm just imagining when this conspiracy began, when Ronnie first started at primary school. A little Johnny, who he didn't even know, was deliberately playing with the ball to try and make Ronnie hit him. There was, there was. And then when Ronnie hit him, the whole plan came to fruition. (laughs) And Ronnie was kicked out of school for the day. And it turned out that it was little Cheryl who plotted the whole thing with her friends. No, actually it was a girl called Samantha. I've got a pencil case, yeah, which come pre-packed when I brought it with all the colours and the pencils and and this, that and the other. Now, I lost the yellow felt tip and replaced it with another yellow felt tip. Then this Samantha says to the teacher that he's got my yellow felt tip. I said, no, this this is... me. Oh, oh, I thought Samantha was. So she said, "Can you bring your pencil case case up to the to, to the desk, please?" And I didn't. She went, "This is Samantha's yellow fountain." I said, "Well, why is that?" Then she went, "Well, it's obviously not yours because it's a different compared to all the rest of them." So it's a conspiracy, isn't it? <laughs> Do I you mean, think Samantha was, stole your felt tip in the first place? That was mine. Do you think she stole it so that you'd have to replace well, you know, it? Now you say it. Now so you that say then it. she I'll could claim. Now you say, it, I believe that. No, that was a strong possibility. Yeah. Did she have one of those open pencil cases with loads of different types of pen in it? Because that would have made it easier well, it for did him to match The one that I had in mind didn't over. match hers, and I don't understand it. I do look back now and think, what did I do? Was I, Did I steal it in blackout or something? No, you like see, that? what I think happened was that she stole your pen, your felt tip. 
she then made sure that she had a duplicate in her own pencil case before she stole yours. So she already had one and she made sure that the teacher had seen hers. Then she got a new one and she proudly went to the teacher when you went looking and said, look, I've got a new yellow pencil, you know, felt tip, whatever. And then she fiddled with your pencil case when you went on the Some, toilet yeah. break. And she mm. set you up. Something went on. I just remembered something else. <laughs> <laughs> I've always believed that me, I had a really bad thing in workplaces as well, where I believed that there was all conspiring against me. Mm. They wanted me out. Mm. And it was a strong, strong feeling. And I believe it started, I mean, forget the Samantha thing, Joe. I mean, she's definitely set me up some way there, but the actual- I wonder where she is now. Yeah, I wonder that too. I, but the actual thinking people are against me started in, when I started taking ecstasy and you know, them clubbing. Mm. Chemicals. Chemicals, yeah. And then I, really, I started to believe in the workplace that everybody was talking about me. Mm. And it was quite deep-rooted as well inside. I believed it and it was everybody. Oh yeah, it really messed with mental health, man. Don't take them. Irreparable damage. Mm. If it's making you paranoid like that. Uh, massively, massively. Because actually, the Samantha thing, you know, that could have happened to anyone. I know that that was a stitch up. That was definitely a stitch up. Yeah, it was a stitch up, and, and <laughs> you've obviously not let go of it. Yeah. Um, but you can't um, let go of it. You've seen your step four. Samantha set me up, the bitch. No, well, I will let it go. I've let it go, step four. Right. But the teacher said, no, you're lying, Bonnie. Mm. The teacher was in on it. She's Samantha paid the teacher. And I couldn't explain myself because I knew how it looked, and I thought, yeah. I know how it looks, and it's terrible, but I didn't do it. Maybe behind it all was the godmother, Samantha's mum, who paid down. the teacher and said, I want you to mess with this boy's head. I'm going to hunt her down. Because her mum was a <laughs> witch. to reveal the truth. Yeah. It's, it's some kind of satanic conspiracy. <coughs> if the mother was a witch and wanted to put a curse on Ronnie, then using the felt tip would have been the way to do it. But you see, it's funny no, to see how this stuff is ingrained, the unmanageable side of things. I've been looking at things lately over the last six seven weeks ago I found myself getting very emotional like, and then like the last couple of weeks I found myself just trying to come into an understanding but I don't really know a lot do I yeah, about me it's a very I don't know what what kind of space has it left me in it's left me in a space of like not wanting to delve back to like primary school days too much and, but it's left me in the kind of space where I'm coming to understand that there's a lot more of getting to know about Neil than I thought. Big job, man. There's a lot more admitting to be done around this like mm. unmanageable side of this emotional well-being and that where I think I am in the state of play right here today is not necessarily the truth of where I am. And that's a little bit of a hard pill to swallow because so like something's happened last week where like someone's come in to ask about some funds which I owe <laughs> to an organisation. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm kind of like, yeah, okay, well, yeah, all right. But why are you guys charging this and why are you doing this? And uh, that's not the reason why the guys come. You know, the guys come because like I need to pay these funds, and, and I made a little bit of an amends around this kind of stuff a few months back. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I'm bringing it all back, back yeah. up again, and I get to understand that this amends what I made was not truly an amends thing. Like you said you let it go. <laughs> I haven't let. It go. It's really strange, isn't it? In that ingrained stuff, yeah, and it's. Yeah, and I've apologised for what happened on that particular day, but looking at bringing this stuff back up again and, 
and feeling that you know I've let some stuff go which is is not truly the case and so I haven't let a lot of stuff go about myself yet that's why it, it makes me understand I have to be patient with that stuff you, I don't know if you recall it's really odd because you know we're just talking about this story about the yellow party we had an altercation once about a, a lighter I was going to bring that up but I thought Damn. it's the same thing it's exactly the same so thing so this lighter I had this certain colour lighter in my mm. back and I gave this lighter to somebody else but at the same time Neil had lost his lighter which was the same colour and there was a mix up and basically Neil said that that's his lighter and I can see why you'd say that because mm. yours has gone and this girl's got one this girl's never normally got a lighter yet I give him the yellow lighter and then there's, there's a conspiracy <laughs> and we have both gone like rare 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 at each other and stuff like that and it goes back to that thing doesn't it whereas I know I'm not wrong because it's this lighter and it, it's right because it's going back to that thing so maybe I didn't let that resentment go how do you let resentment go like that kind of slapping the chops and go right yes and my side of things to do with that particular incident was feeling like not being heard and it's unjust like, yeah, this unjust, is unjust. and things can be unjust in any level over <laughs> and I'm willing to sacrifice I'm willing to <laughs> bite my face, put a big bite on my face to so spite my face. Right? Yeah. Let's forget <laughs> completely the reason why I'm in this environment. <laughs> yeah. My life is completely like, out of sync, out of control. I cannot live life. Right? Yeah, I do not know how to live because life. Because of this lighter. And I'm willing yeah. to sacrifice it all. Right? I've said, okay, I don't know how to live life and I'm going to allow you guys to help me. And yet I'm going to sacrifice it all because of a Lighter. And you probably both bought the lighters from the same place, unwittingly. <laughs> and of course, over time, and this does happen over time, over time we actually learn to leave things like that alone. Because mm. if I leave it alone in the first place, you know, it's only a lighter. Okay. Right? So what? Mm. And if I learn to leave that, that means that it never turns into a resentment. Mm. But of course, it takes a long time to learn to leave it. And like you were saying, Neil, about being realistic about what you've got to admit to and... Uh, Manageability and non-manageability. Your specialist subject, your mastermind. If you're going through that process, then of course you're not going to leave it alone the first few times it happens. What you've actually got to learn is how to deal with the resentment when it does happen. Yeah. And you won't do that the first time either. Is and it? it will take several goes before you reach a point of thinking, how important is this? Does it matter now? Is it really going to cost me or change anything or whatever if I do go like a pit bull on this? Can I leave it alone? And I've only had experience of things like that happening recently. Mm. And I haven't had a drink for five and a half years. And prior to that, I was still getting this process of getting halfway through an argument, learning to walk away halfway through. Now I've learned to leave it. I'm not saying that's going to happen the next time something goes wrong like that. But I have actually done that now, and it's taken me all that time to get to that point. Yeah, process. So what process. you're talking about with the lighter, mm. everyone needs to go through that, and everyone needs to go through that a few times mm. in the initial rehab process, in the recovery process, straight after rehab, and it goes on and on and on, and gradually, these things that are all engulfing, like you said, Neil, mm. become less all engulfing, and we realise what's important and what isn't. Yeah. But it's amazing how Matt felt tip pen and like uh, circumstances, something so small. When I look back at it, Ronnie, like bouncing in and around recovery, 
I've ended up back in a trap house. I don't call it crack houses. I call it trap houses now because I get trapped yeah, in these yeah. houses. If I really trace it back properly, if I'm kind of my brain ain't full of so much, it started off with something like yeah. a lighter. Mad, isn't it? Mm-hmm. The matchstick. The matchstick. The ant. It started there, and then all of a sudden, I'm back. There is a truth to that matter. So either the lighter's been stolen, or the lighter was given, and it's like suddenly there's an importance to get that truth across, and it has to be shown what exactly what's happened but really we don't know what's happened in one sense you don't know whether that is always in your lighter mm. i feel that i know that light just come out of my bag it, so yeah you're right it is easy just to just let sleeping dogs lie but this sense of justice thing just i think exactly. is huge in all of us mm. and it's magnified by the fact that we come into recovery and become aware of just what shits we've been mm. Therefore, I'm going to try and do things with the proper moral compass now. Mm-hmm. And then when I start doing this, hang on, why is everyone else being a wanker? Why are all these other people around me being so difficult when I'm trying to do the right yeah, thing? You're trying to do the and right I don't contextualise that I've only just started doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And I can't expect the whole world to behave. And then I go out and try and do the right thing by people. Mm-hmm. And there's someone that makes my life very difficult. And of course my sense of justice is triggered. So I'm thinking, look, I'm making all this bloody effort with you now. Can't you see? All you're doing is making it hard for me. And it's getting that recalibration back down to the middle, which is, okay, I'm going to do things properly. I'm going to keep my side of the street clear. Why the fuck can't you? Mm. And it takes a while to learn that actually some people aren't going to do it anyway. Some people are never going to do it. Some people are incapable. And we have to have a methodology for dealing with that. I have to know when to walk away. And it's not about saving face or winning an argument or anything. Sometimes it's like playing chess with a pigeon. <laughs> you're never going to play the moves, or you'll play all your nice moves, and the pigeon will just shit on the board and fly away. <laughs> so it's never a game. And this you is the kind, of, the, board. the kind of argument that we end up in. And mm. I don't want to be a second pigeon playing that other pigeon. Mm. I don't want to do that anymore. And not everything has to be a contest. And it takes me a long time to learn this because all I wanted to do for certainly two, three years was redress the balance. Redress the balance in me, but that translated into, I'm gonna redress the balance in everybody else as well. Mm. I didn't realize that was what I was doing. Mm. And get caught up in feelings and getting caught up in in emotions and getting caught up in stuff which And not knowing how to deal with your emotions emotions. over something as simple as a lighter. lighter. I remember you getting aerated in treatment. Mm because there was a certain gentleman we were in with who couldn't stop farting. And there was one particular afternoon where you went almost nuclear on him. I'm putting that into context. In that goldfish bowl that you're in, in that eight weeks where everything's under a magnifying glass, you can't avoid the sound and the smell of someone farting all the time. And therefore it grows and it grows and it grows and it grates. And even when they haven't farted, you think that they have. And eventually, you get this self-righteous explosion, which is, why can't this person take any notice of what we're all saying to them? Why can't this person be more considerate? No way. And that's justice again. I'm trying to find a simple answer to this whole way of life. There's got to be one rule. If you follow one rule, everything will be all right. Just one rule for everything. Don't be a dickhead. (laughs) Do no harm. Do the next best thing. No, my one is what would God do? 
I'm reading that book at the minute, The Courage to Be Disliked, and I don't know if I'm wrong. Every action and every move and every decision and every whatever it is that you do in life can be done using one rule. Is that what this book is, is enlightening you to? That'd be enlightening. Yeah, and I believe that. Is. Oh, God, he's going to go all <laughs> zen on this next. <laughs> all right, you know what, Richard? I forgot to bring this in, right, right Ronnie. Yeah. So I bought a book the other day, like. And you I bought a book? I bought a book, and I don't buy many books, right? And so I bought this book. Like, I was, like, was it about no, Arsenal? No, no, but like, so this book, like, this is the title, and it had it in bold, going all over the front cover Toxic Positivity. And I've read the forward, this guy is a therapist, and he's, and he's gone underground his reasons around why he's writing this book. And I put it down, and I thought, I'm not sure if I'm ready for this book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I've done that with a couple of books. No, seriously, I think I'm not sure if I'm ready because I don't want to hear about this toxic positive. I just want to be positive at the moment. I don't want to hear about the toxic side of positivity. A few books, a lot of books seem to clash with um, recovery and, and what self-help books. Mm-hmm. Well, they would do a lot of them. Because bear in mind that a self-help book is not written out of altruism. A self-help book is written out of self-interest, mm-hmm. which you'll find the problems on it. If someone is writing self-help books and they're selling, yeah they're positioning themselves as an advisor and it is written out of self-interest you know shoot me down the flames you think I'm wrong but anyone who writes a book with the intention of selling life tips is intending to make money out of and that's exactly what I'm saying reading yeah. exactly the same thing if, if this this book is written then this person is making money from this book because if you compare that to the AA big book and the NA basic text they are not published to make profits. They are published altruistically to help people. And then anything that comes in that is gained financially from those goes back into AA and NA. It doesn't go in someone's pocket. The God part of the brain, I like the, the God part of the brain? Mm. All I know It's is all these people pretending to be philosophers when they've got no idea what they're saying. It felt like it was the great philosophy or something or other. I just had to put them down because I start talking about not God. Do you find it sends you running round in circles? Yeah. Yeah, it does. From one book to the next? Yeah. I just want an interesting read. Because what I liked about Casey's book was that it was very focused. This is what it's about. Mm. It's purely about this, and this is where that lands. It doesn't purport to be a big, great life philosophy. Mm. It's just addressing one aspect of things that we come up against in early recovery. Yeah. Whereas these generalised self-help books, it's like, I'm going to change your life with this book. Yeah. You're not going to change my life with your one book that I might find interesting. It might help me in some way. Yeah. If I can approach it with detachment, I may well find things in your publication that really do benefit me on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. But there's no way that I'm taking an entire philosophy. But like you said, then, if you can approach it with detachment, so that is the issue, isn't it? You just kind of said about being like this long, many days away from not having a drink, but yet still learning that mm. ways and means of how to kind of interact with people when it, things get a bit sticky. So like when I was saying earlier on about trying to create a space for myself, I felt over the last couple of weeks, I'm getting bombarded with this stuff in the morning and I'm guilty of bombarding other people with this stuff as well. And there's been something shifting in me lately to say, I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed by all this positivity kind of quotes and this and that coming through first thing in the morning. Because I feel like obliged 
to read most of it what I can and to react to it or, or um, think oh that's good and, but it's too much and I feel like my poor little brain what can't like really like take information on board and, and keep it <laughs> store it yeah, store like, it it's, it's too much and then also like I think I just need a space at the moment where I'm just not doing and not doing it to others it, I find that my little good morning stuff and that I've got a set amount of people I do it to then I'll kind of go sporadic I think with self-help yeah. either I have to approach the whole thing with detachment and just say okay I'm going to read this and see if I find anything in it that I might use mm-hmm. or from the person that produces it there has to be some sense of yes you can use these but not saying this will change your entire life definitely and I think that's what I've realised I can get from it some of these books which I've put a few down I am reading this I spoke about it last week Adler Philosophy or Psychology or whatever you call it and there is some bits of good in there but some bits yeah, I have to think well, no, that, that doesn't count because the cards that Dan and Jackie use the affirmation cards are very much about a thing that you can use every day mm-hmm. it's a resource it's not something that says do this every day and this will happen there's a lot of self help books get all this crap on the back of them saying this changed my life Whereas what I want to read on the back of the self-help book is, this has really helped me in my journey with. With what you're saying here about those morning malarkey, I think most people go through that same thing. Yeah, not a good thing. When I first left the treatment centre, every morning I was texting this one, texting that one, I realised what I was doing was holding on to them, fear of losing them. Um, And then maybe, whether I've done this the right way or not, I don't know, but I just stopped completely if somebody texts me then I'll reply to that message um, but then I found that I'll still then start to get more and more messages because they knew I'd build, you know I'd reply to them so mm. I don't always reply to them I reply as and when I've got the time if I get the time and that's the way I do it now my phone rarely rings and people don't often text that much to me anymore and I'm quite happy with it so yeah, yeah, I've been through, and it is a case of, for me, it was a fear of missing out and fear of possibly losing friends and people thinking, oh, we're not going to bother with him because mm. if we've got a night out, let's don't worry mm. about him because he doesn't normally talk and that. And what about this other one? Maybe people start to think, well, where is he? Is he all <sighs> that kind of thing in the morning? Like, if I don't do it, people are going to start kind of thinking I'm <laughs> off scum. I'm off scum. <laughs> There's a mixture of kind of like things going on in my brain. If you want to, is this manipulation? I don't know, but if you want to, somebody text, I look at my phone at specific time. If it pings across the other side of the room, I won't go over to it until I'm ready, until I've got a few minutes. And I thought, right, let me check what's been going on Mm. here. And then if I want to reply, I'll reply. And over time, people will get used to your habits of returning messages and and what they'll do then is you might find that you'll get a phone call instead of a message if it's an important it's thing. Yeah, because they know that. And that's what I'm finding. So my phone will only ring if it's, do you fancy doing this or, and text messages as well. I do get more messages off certain people and I don't always reply to them, but yeah. sometimes I do. Because yeah. if I feel... You can get caught up in that. If I'm like you, you are at the mini, it's time for me to stop. Yeah. You ain't going nowhere. And when people say, fucking hell, I thought you'd, you'd relapsed or something, well, then it's all, well, no, 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 just, uh, just, well, just because you're not sending 724 messages oh. to all these people every single day. 
but the next time you don't answer to them, they, they won't think, oh, he's relapsed. Oh, no, he's done this before. He just means he's had a bit of a rest. Because you can get totally caught up in that. There yeah. Of course, all the WhatsApping yeah. and groups and morning and evening messages. And I never saw the great virtue Very of good. that. I thought, well, you know, I'm going to keep in contact with people yeah. on a regular basis. And then you've also got the thing of, happens to me quite a lot actually because of course I see the whole stream of people coming through a treatment centre and I see them for a handful of weeks mm-hmm. and in the same way as when you work in a school and teach kids mm-hmm. you'll see one of them ten years later when they've turned into an adult mm-hmm. they recognise you and they assume that you're going to recognise them which of course you can't and with hundreds and hundreds of people coming through that I see on a Friday afternoon mm-hmm. of course I don't remember them all but sometimes I will see them somewhere out in the street, out of context. Mm. They'll recognise me and I'll think, who the fuck are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this sense of keeping in contact with people within recovery, it has to be a manageable number. I can't cope with having 50-odd people for morning and well, evening messages and WhatsApp groups and all this. I can't keep track of that many people. It's too much. That's right. If you've got lots of best friends, you've got, you, you'll end up with no time for yourself. Yeah, you know, really good friend. Every now and again, will call you because they need your help. If you've got lots of them, before you and know, your it, closest friends will be people you might not speak to for three months. I've got a friend who I've had for about twenty years, and he texted me yesterday. Prior to that, it was six months ago, yeah. and prior to that, it was probably a year and a half ago. Yeah. But that friendship's never changed. It's still just as strong. It's like if you trust God or you trust whatever you want to trust good people will stay in your life the people that are meant to stay in your life will stay in your life mm. if you're constantly in each other's pockets and you've got more time then to piss them off mm. whereas if you're not seeing them very often you've got less time to piss them off and the longer they'll stay in your life mm. and the number of codependencies I see developing in early recovery is terrifying and I think this the they social go to meetings all together yeah. they spend all day talking all together they're determining what each other does it's like best friends at primary school mm. and then they fall out yeah and then that's that can be detrimental to some people's recovery because they feel of course ousted alone yeah and then the next minute like they think like you know okay they don't like me no one likes me and all that kind of carry on and before you know it it's then that early recovery becomes dependent on specific people rather than just on people in recovery mm. you know we should be depending on all of the people within recovery that we associate with however closely not on a specific unit of people and of course not to put too cruel a point on it that's why when someone dies people start making it all about them because if one person dies out of a particular cohort who've come through treatment of course they're going to make it about them Mm. because it's all about them as a group it's something that you grow out of isn't it Mm. when you get around the rooms or however you handle recovery you do grow out of this sense of I've got to be part of this group because the group should be global not localised I think yeah definitely for me I've got a select one or, one or two but generally I just like I won't arrange a night out or anything I've never arranged a night out to do something that, that's just for me I'm not saying that it's best not to do it and I just attend I go to places and, yeah. and I do that I haven't got time otherwise what I'm starting to understand that I'm very much in early doors, very much. I've got a few days away 
but I'm starting to understand that I've got a responsibility now to start creating spaces to move into, to move on. I've never kind of really looked at things like this before. You know, I just kind of thought, oh, it's just going to happen. <laughs> I'll do this and this is just going to happen. I'm starting to maybe get a grasp of like, maybe this is how growing up mm. kind of maybe looks. Well, this is what I'm believing at the moment. I don't know, I don't even know if I'm right. But I've got to start creating some space to move into. In that creating that space, it means something's like I say, I always say, there's a price to pay, but I didn't know what the price was a lot of the times. Mm. Like the positive kind of price, if, if that makes sense. So I've got to start making a space to move into, to, to start developing as a, as oh, a person, yeah. or I'll get stuck. And I've been stuck before, and I go backwards very quick. It's, just it's like a case you take each day as it comes. If within that day, if something, you come across something, and it's been put there, and you know you can benefit from it in a positive way, which is not treating on people's toes, that's when you put those actions in. You don't have to push for it. You shouldn't have to plan too much, but don't let things stop you from progressing. So if, if well an opportunity said. arises, then that's when you go with the opportunity. But um, being aware that this is maybe the time for yeah. like, you know, like yeah, you're saying, yeah, don't yeah. push, I love the way yeah, you're saying, yeah, don't, don't push, push. but like, it you're appears. You your path and mm. you think, right, oh, this will take me away from my peers on that Saturday night or whatever. You've got to look, it's going to suit you as a person. Because a lot of recovery I found for me was self-work. So you can't do much self-work if you're in and around of a team 24-7 talking as a whole mm. instead of as an individual. Because you're an individual at the end of the day. And everything falls down to if, if you're clean and sober, then everything will happen. Mm. And if you're not, and nothing's worth even trying to fight for anyway. Because like they say, you come alone. You know, like sometimes you get a big stone, you know, I'll come alone. Oh, I'm going to go alone. Like, you know, like, yeah, 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 yeah. But you, know, you come alone and then all of a sudden, like, you know, like you're talking about Richard, you go, you get caught up this codependency of this little group. Mm. And like, ah, oh, we're going to be together forever. Ah, oh, we're going to love it. And then two get drunk, <laughs> one gets high and another one dies. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Bingo. Where's my group gone? I'd rather have lots of friends that I don't see very often and too many friends that I see too often so the fellowship's never going anywhere recovery will never go anywhere the people that are in it that you know you will always know doesn't matter if one lives over there and one's over there and you're not going to meet every five minutes with each other mm. just taking away the fear of thinking that people are just going to drift off you and it's getting on with pushing through your own insecurity isn't it because mm. when you've just finished rehab you lost a child and of course you want other people to go with. It takes a hell of a lot of gumption to think, right, I'm going to walk through this fear straight away and just go to meetings on my own. It's not a reasonable thing to expect. But you it's a question of how long you depend on that, that idea of going with other people. You're emotionally stunted, aren't you? Yeah. When you start your habits of drinking and drugs and whatever. So naturally, you know, I'll speak for myself, I know that the way my head will work in certain situations is very childlike the way I behave or the way I, I perceive something that's going on or hang on a minute I want to sit in the front you think that person's better than me you know that kind of behaviour and it's it comes from this childlike behaviour and, and I picked up a spliff when I was 14 since then I never stopped until two and a half years ago from either I'm not just saying spliff obviously drink you name it, the whole shebang. There was no growth in my emotional state. 
because we stunted and I felt something once when I was in the car that I felt when I was a, just a fresh teenager, I must have been like 13, just 12 or even whatever and I remember being in this 4 by 4 thing and I, and I was put in the back and I've had this certain emotion come over and I thought, so then they better chums are and they put me in the back and I had the same feeling a year into recovery and I was sitting in the back of the car and I felt that feeling and thought, fucking hell, yeah that's right man, definitely my emotional state has been stunted because it, it was like a child mm. thinking yeah. but sometimes it's a hard pill to swallow looking in the mirror looking back at you and like knowing that you're not a child you know you're of a certain age and this is what I'm trying to say around all this stuff bombarded with and everything and your insides not matching the outsides kind of thing and coming to understand that that's all right you know, you're, mm. gonna, you're gonna be looking in the mirror and you see this thing looking back at you this thing we're back on <laughs> we're back on to things and things again <laughs> And see this face looking back at you, which is you, and not really kind of knowing what's going on with you, you know, because it's like I look like this, and like you know, you see other people who look similar to you, like you know, in age, and they act as like why, but I'm not acting like I want to act like that right here, right now, and I want to be like that way, but I'm not ready to be like that right here, right now. You know, you're saying don't push, don't grab, and you're trying to push yourself and and grab for things that you're not ready. To deal with yeah. like being told to sit in the back of the car. This is, if you're clean, and, if you're clean and sober, you're doing the right thing. Simple as that. Yeah, and you're moving forward. Yeah, yeah simple yeah. as that. But it's being mindful of that. That's what I'm trying to say. Maybe it's being it's mindful. comparing though, isn't it? You're comparing yourself. I'm comparing myself. Mm. Not. I'm not. I'm comparing like. Even though I'm, even I'm looking at. But I'm just, it's about compare me. You, compare yourself against yourself myself. Yeah. Where you was two years ago and think, walking out with a clean dead. Oh, You'd be dead by now. I know. Yeah. Wicked all of them dead. dead. Yeah. yeah, all of them. Many times. Yeah, and being patient. That's the word I lose daily. That's why do you think I've tried to follow one rule fits all? Patience. That's like trying to find the answer to the universe. Right? Did we not come out of this one last week? What yeah. was it? Number four. Number forties. Did you know? <laughs> I just don't know what the question is. Did you Thank know? You Douglas Adams. You know the Rubik's cube, right? Yeah. Whatever position that Rubik's cube is in, so whatever colours are on each side. There's, you can solve it in 20 moves, whatever position it's in. And with that, we've run out of time. So Ronnie has just given you the answer to everything in how to solve the Rubik's Cube. 20 moves, whatever. If you've heard However you scramble it up, 20 moves. Well, scramble it like eggs. Or like a dirt bike. If you've heard anything that resonated with you concerning yourself or anyone else, do Google recovery, rehabilitation, anything you're looking for. There are loads and loads of things out there, not all of which you have to pay for. And if you do so and all goes well, you could end up like Ronnie or like Neil. So or you could end up like me. <laughs> and then there is a way forward, there is always a way forward, and there is always a way out. So be good, stay safe, and we'll be back next week. So bye. Bye, 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 bye. Uh, what a way to finish it.